welcome and you're listening to the You Are Not Alone podcast series created to provide support to the special educational needs community in Brent and beyond. This is a Jason Roberts Foundation production. Now, two of the other subjects we were going to cover tonight were social distancing and social stories. Richard raised social distancing last week. What is it? How does it translate? We're all still not sure exactly how this plays it out. So who who wants to comment on that first? And and maybe even suggest um, in this in this field, in this SEN field, what represents best practice? Uh, I'll start if I could, Mike. Um, yes, of course, David. Uh, I'll just make a couple of quick points. Um, social distancing. For, for children um, with autism is very difficult or next to impossible. Uh, I find, based on my experience of my own child, it's very difficult you know, for them to understand the concept. Obviously, depending on whether they're mild, moderate, or, or severe, uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult concept to get across. I think that's just the first point. That, that I, um, um, now, in saying that, you as a parent, David, <coughs> Does that mean, are we talking about social distancing within the household? Or are we talking about social distancing, you know, when you go out there, the expectation? What, what, what aspect of social distancing are you talking about? I mean, I, 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 I speak based on, say, for example, the last two or three weeks where we've gone for walks in the wood in, in the evening after, after work, after my sort of working from home sessions. And in the parks, you know, depending on the time of day you go out, you know, there, there can be people, if you like, or people with dogs bringing dogs for a walk, depending on the relative time of day and depending on the area of the park you're in, you, or if you're in the woods on paths, you will have a limited uh, distance or area, um, zone around you. And, you know, I, I have found, you know, obviously with my son, it's he doesn't understand the concept of social distancing, and it's it's difficult to to make him aware of that. And it's something you have to be really aware of. And now going forward, you know, in light of the fact that it's unclear how long the social distancing is going to go on for, I'm talking in the context of a simple walk in the park. But if you took that and put it in the context of shopping, in the context of going to a coffee bar. You know, you, you, it will mean you've got to raise your game. You've got to be more aware, you know, both social distancing, you know, the, the, the concept of the fact that the way COVID-19 spreads, you know, well, in particular, in the context of distancing, you know, touching surfaces. For children that don't understand danger, you know, it's, it's, it's next to impossible to, you know, make them understand this type of thing, even through social stories. And I know we're going to come on to that in a minute, but, you know, it, so it's it's a real issue going forward. It's a, it's a real issue for, for parents, you know. That's you know, fantastically put, it, David. Kate. Yeah. Um, just through talking to some of the parents, I think this is, this is a really big struggle, as you're saying, David, about wanting to take their children out um, yeah. just for a simple walk or go to a shop which is an activity that the child typically loves, um, that parents are really concerned about responses from members of the public because 
their child can't socially distance or will touch things or will go up to people. And I think it's a real concern for parents and with special needs children about how other people will react to them out in public. And I think that is something that needs to be addressed and thought about. And because we don't want children with special needs to be further isolated in society. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got we've got two parents in the room, with David noticed. And just just a question. I mean, a couple of students we work with um, are struggling with face masks. Um, so, whether it's that this is it's all new to all of us. I mean, is it something that might be sort of further a common thing with with kids and adults with SEM that face coverings are going to be an issue for a lot of some some sensory children? who struggle with that, yep. that element. Is that something that could be a factor, do you think? Yep. I, th- I mean, I'd say something like that if I could first of us. Um, the thing about COVID-19, again, and the face mask, is the effectiveness of it. Um, okay, there's a debate around that, but obviously bringing your hand in contact to your face, if you do know the risks, then you, you know how to handle the mask, how to put the mask on, how to take the mask off in a manner such that you mitigate the risk and you don't, you know, you don't allow your hand to touch your face or you mitigate that because that's obviously the mode of, of, of transfer. For for a sin child or a sin individual, and again, I'm speaking on the basis of my own child, that concept, I mean, it's difficult. That, uh, you know, it's difficult. And so the students we work with, well, they've, um, sometimes you can feel it. The two parents I've had, their child felt enclosed when wearing it and really uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Whether that's an issue that a lot of parents, you'll find a lot of parents where, uh, the, the, the child is, one for a better term, <laughs> freaking out because of that, that restrictiveness around the face. Yeah, I, I haven't tried a mask yet with, with my son. The way I'll do it, I, I mean, we have thought about it. We'll probably have to link it to a costume as part of a costume. That's, I think Great that's idea. the way that he would buy into it. It's because a very good Kate, idea. Kate knows my son and he likes, you know, he likes costumes. Um, yeah. So, th- th- you know, that that's... That is just a way that we'll have to try and do it. Definitely talking to some of the parents, this, this Kai has been a big issue with them trying to um, get their children to wear the mask because, as you said, from a sensory perspective, it's just really uncomfortable and unfamiliar. And also the child doesn't understand why they need to wear them either. Um, so I think it is a really big challenge, the face mask, definitely. There's a barrier of fear as well. We don't want to instill fear. That, that's always my worry with this. Um, Can I put in something on this fear? Having had a discussion with a colleague today um, where she tells me that on some of her uh, welfare checks home, she has heard some of the children saying when they say, do you want to go back to school? They say, no, no, coronavirus at school, coronavirus at school. So they've actually felt that the parents have been explaining to them they can't go to school because of coronavirus. So they've made that link that the actual coronavirus is at school. So I think that's going to be a real issue when we actually open up to try and get our children back into school without being scared that there's something dangerous and going to make them ill in there. Very big point. Um, yeah, on the, the, um, on the kit side, uh, Michael, if I may. I, mean, I was we, coming to you, actually. Yeah, we, you know, that is our game. Our game is that we have, we have SEN students, non-verbal students, autistic, you know, severe, not so severe, etc., coming in, and we ask them to put kit on. We ask them to put a pair of ski boots, which are pretty uncomfortable to start with, long socks, you know, a, a salopette, a jacket, you know, so they're getting hot. They haven't even got their gloves and their helmets on. 
you know, and everybody who goes on the slope has to, has to have gloves and a helmet uh, from a safety perspective. And a lot of them also wear buffs, you know, so that if they're feeling colder, they will put a buff on. Okay, now a buff is not a medical device, but it does go over the face. And they quite like the idea that they're in their own little world. And where we have the challenges of, of students that find that difficult, we just, we just bide our time with them. You know, we just put it down there, we play with it. Then, you know, we t spend our time and it might take two or three sessions for them to get a helmet on. Um, and that's fine. And they need to know it's fine. And the parents and the teachers need to know that's also fine. You know, we don't want to go, oh, we've only got half an hour. We better get out of there. Come on, let's go. It's going to be in their, in their, in their time. So I think there are, there are definitely ways. I mean, I love the idea about it being a uniform because as such, when, when the kids come in or, or dressing up, that we're asking them to dress up. You know, yeah, they're asking them to be, to be superheroes and put their kit on and come on and let's go. And, and then you can get on the snow. And, um, you know, when they see other people doing it around them, then slowly over time, I think it's a you know a positive thing. And what about the um, the hygiene aspect aspects? You know where you know we've been told you know wash our hands every twenty minutes. How does that? How is that translating in in lives? Well, can I just say that in school that's working out really well. Children with autism are very good at following routines. So um, once it's put in as part of the routine, they're they're very good at it. We have no problems with children washing their hands in school. Also, the, the, the physical and social distancing ties into safety. So if we can somehow, with our students, tie it into the safety aspect of it, mm. you know, what is three steps? So actually, three steps away mm. from somebody else is social distancing. But if you say, can, you, well, can they do three steps? They could probably do that. Can you socially distance? Well, what the hell is that? What does, what does that mean? You know, so... I think the use of all of these things in the environment that the student is in um, and just trying to find the right word that maybe that they can comprehend to a certain level and we can show them also because we can be next to them, you know, six feet so, away and doing so the same a, thing. It's a vocabulary. It's a, it might be a vocabulary. It might be exactly as David said. It might be, hey, let's dress up as supermen or superwomen. Or, you know, so whatever, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter, but it's for them. You know, whatever they're most interested in, if they're most interested in trains, hey, let's be a train driver. Hey, I'm putting a helmet on. What does a train driver do? Puts a helmet on, you know, puts a, you know, so it's trying to use a visual as much as anything as well. And I think it's a lot about practice as well. I mean, before we actually closed the schools, we were doing a lot more work with the pupils on, okay, we normally wash our hands at these points, but actually we're going to wash them a lot more and for a longer amount of time. And as you talked about with other things, it's all about the staff and the people around the children modeling these things to them and supporting them to get used to it and practicing it, whether that be practicing having a face mask on for a few seconds and then taking it off and then just trying to build that up over time. Well, you know what we did with the horse riding, Kate. We brought the helmets yeah. back to um, school until the children would um, learn to accommodate them and then we took them down to the horse riding. So They might be putting it on a teddy bear. Putting a face mask on a teddy bear. You know? Yeah, definitely. Anything that they go, oh, I'm going to be a teddy bear. But again, with these things, though, it's we're steps that parents can take. Becoming, because we're used to doing it on a day-to-day -day basis and changing things. 
And I think parents are the ones, and, and, and it, it, you know, I'm not knocking any parent by this statement. It's about whether we can, you know, we talked about an OT earlier. You know, is it possible to get an OT on to, to, to maybe work with Jonathan and look at some of the kind of simple stretches, the simple things that parents can do with their children? And again, it's, it's the language because, you know, I, I, I know for certainty I would never say to a, a autistic child, I'm going to teach you social distancing you would be looking at what language we could use, what language works, what, what have schools said to children about, you know, keeping their distance, you know, is there a toolkit of language we could put together as well? Yeah. I'm just, yeah. Well, know, that's what we talked about, social stories, because they mm. might be the best way yes. to introduce. Yeah, I think there's uh, some good points. Uh, David's made a really good point about um, dressing students up and just thinking about that, like all our students enjoy doing that for certain events, such as World Book Days, and I'm just thinking now that, you know, we could really relate to them before they come back to school by dressing up ourselves and saying this is now incorporated into like the PE kit or into the classroom. So again, modelling, modelling what that looks like so they feel reassured. So definitely thinking about these sorts of things before they do come back to school. Are you going to be asking children to wear masks in school? We have no idea where this is going. Well, the, the message I got this morning, uh, just regard to golf courses, um, was from the governing bodies. No announcement has been made yet, but one of the stipulations was we had to provide uh, PPE for, for staff. Whether this comes into play or not, we're not sure. Um, that's one of the things that got mentioned to us. I mean, for me, for my coaches, we're, we're still unsure when to one-to-one. -one. We know we can work one-to-one, -one, but if you're working with some students who are very hands-on and need that kinesthetic feel to, 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 to learning, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I mean... And also, I don't, some coaches with a mask on, it all depends what, what these students watch. If you're watching bank robbers and movies and all this sort of stuff and you whack a mask mm, on, mm, then mm. instill we've got that fear barrier straight back again. So yeah. it's, it's all these positive yeah. messages. I think the superhero message and all these sort of messages of the train driver and the cowboy mm. and Indian, whoever it may be, um, these positive messages of people wearing masks and might be something to start bringing into households. Well, I think, I don't, wasn't deliberate, Kai. But I think that that's just a fantastic link into social stories. You know, the, the, the accessing of, the understanding of, the delivery of, and the language that's, that's used. It's a, it's a nice place to bring that into, into the subject. And I saw the stuff that uh, Margaret put around on the circular. Fantastic. So, yes. Margaret, maybe you want to kick that discussion off because I think it's an area that, um, can have immediate impact and and it's something that that we can we can get out of out there and it's a big statement coming out of this group to be able to to do that can i just say the social stories have a very um focused way of developing so um because some social stories if they're not correctly written will cause more damage than do good you know, so um, there's a very sequential and there's a lot of training. I have done social stories training. I don't know if anybody else on here has. Okay. I've done it for sport, not education. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's a lot of training, but we are extremely lucky that I haven't written. I've done comic strips, which is another part of social stories, which is a more instant way of recording comic strips with a child to support their understanding. 
at the moment, our MAS team, our multi-agency support team, are very happy to support anybody who would like to develop a social story for a child. It's usually written for individuals, and they're what terms the audience. Um, so you write, you develop a social story for the audience. You need to gather the information, exactly what do you want that child to gain an understanding about. Then you need to um, develop the story, you need to review it, and then you need to actually teach it. So there's like five-step sequence to um, a social story and um, delivering it to a child, so, so to gain understanding. It's, it's a really good way if you get it right. It's really say. important as well to understand the level of understanding and language that the child already has. And I think that's definitely the challenge with some of our more complex learners is that even with quite a simple social story, their level of understanding isn't quite at that level. But yeah. I think for those learners that can access mm. social stories, it's an incredible resource. Yeah. And as Margaret said, when it's really well written and really tailored mm. to the individual as well. Yeah, it doesn't need to have text. You know, no. a social story can be with pictures. It can actually support a sequence of visuals in order to develop an understanding. So um, if you ha have a good assessment of the child and the information of um, somebody said about what their interest is, you can really support um, a development of a social story that will support that. Just leaning back to what we've done with sport, I mean, you tell an individual approach, just yeah. sort of flick back to when we done, where we had a child who was a massive, massive Tottenham fan. Um, and, and when we built the social story, you made sure that Every single image of the part of the of the, the participant in the social story wore a Tottenham shirt just to relate to, and that that was something that really hit home. Um, well, I think I couldn't re I couldn't read it personally. But, no, uh, I wouldn't be able to read it neither. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, really I think I think um, you know, with me putting my psychotherapist hat on, I'm fascinated about this particular area for the reason that really you're dealing with belief systems with these images. And I think that the power of creating beliefs and something that immediately triggers an emotion is something that is so powerful. And when I looked at the story, I was very pleased to see that it was written in the first and third person mode, which is very, very important technique. Mm -hmm. And psychologically, the fact is, you can take someone with that story and you, you can see them start to own it because you're, you're tapping into a belief system. Because it doesn't express an opinion. Say it, that again? You should never express an opinion. Absolutely. You know, because so, somebody's good for you may not necessarily be good for somebody else. Absolutely. So you need to be very sure that your social story never expresses an opinion. So. Yeah, because, because they need to take ownership of it yeah. rather than yeah. be talked to. Yeah. And I think it's a very, very powerful tool. And when, when done correctly, it's something we can get out there. But we do need to tell people how to use it. Yes. Yeah, because it can do as much harm as good if, not, if it's not a good story. And, and I think with anything else, as, as, as you would be taught in, in, in psychotherapy, you know, if you open a door, you've got to be able to close it. Yes. So therefore, a social story should, should take you on a journey that, yeah. that, that, that finishes somewhere definite for the person rather than yeah. leave it open and gaping. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Any more? Any contributions more on on the social stories aspect of things? I think uh, from um, from where we sit, I mean, we try to use uh, 
worksheets, you know, which actually we've learned from, from John and uh, Margaret um, about, you know, physical literacy. And a lot of this stuff starts with a curriculum anyway at school. And well, actually, it starts with the government who say, right, you've got to do this stuff, schools. And then it gets into the school and the schools develop stuff like the cultural capital, the physical literacy, etc., which then leads into then doing physically doing yeah. something. Some of that will be social story. Some will be a visual social story. Or in our case, we use it. You know, we, we, we have A4 bits of paper down one side. It's got a ski boot and a glove and what have you. And on the other side, it's got a student and the student's got to put arrows as to where they, you know, where you put your boot. It can be at all sorts of levels. It can be really a social story or it can be just something that, allows them to be able to interact with the environment, etc., that they're in. You know, I think a key thing with social story, and I mean, I'm no expert at them, I haven't had training on them, but would be, in my view, linking it to the interest of the child. And, you know, like, depending on the child, certain, every child will like different types of stories. I'm talking in general, be they bedtime stories or be they other stories that they read, Ladybird books or whatever, Oxford books. You know, they'll, they'll relate to certain characters in those stories. And it's, it's trying to link it. Motivation is key in, in learning, as we all know. And obviously with, with children with special needs, it's even more key because you've got to, you've got to entice them in. And the way, you know, the way to entice them in is to entice them in through something that they're interested in. Now, depending on where they are on the spectrum, they might only be, you know, limited. They might be only interested in a limited number of items or a limited number of stories, or, or otherwise they might be limited in more. But I think that's a key ingredient that needs to be looked at and thought about as well. You know, when you're looking, when you're sort of compiling them. Very good. Very good. Any other contributions on that, Keisha? There was a lot for you to. Uh soak in there anything you know from a a perspective of the social stories that that you can look at to apply in Grenada so I was doing a lot of thinking you know while listening about the social stories and then I was um, thinking about the parents and you know thinking about the huge turnover that will need to take place in order for that to happen because I was, you know, I had a particular parent and she wasn't the only one expressing that to me about the children. So if they don't want to do something, it's left alone. So, for example, getting a mask on the child's face, just moving back a little. The child don't want it, so I'm not going to fight or even bother. They're not going to do it, so that child is going to stay home. If it's necessary for that child to get out to wear the mask that child is not going to go anywhere. That's for sure, because they're not going to bother. So what about the technique of the uniform, of making it an adventure? So get into that. You know, that song, you know, has something really good that they can definitely try. Yeah. But if they're seeing it as... They, they will need to probably give more than one try, probably try at least three, four times to see if yeah. that will work. And I yeah. think that's where that comes in. So the child don't want to do it. Oh, that's how they normally behave. That's how they normally behave. So I'm not not even going to try rather than try different costumes or try to figure out what they might like or what they may, do, may you know, want to do. Or if they have a particular superhero. I can see most of the girls wanting to dress up as Bobby. I can see that. 
because I would have, you know, you know, had interactions with them and that's one of their favorite. For the boys, you know, it would be a bit challenging for the parent to get stuff, just, you know, help them with that. You know, and even some of the parents are special needs parents themselves, which makes it even more difficult because we have quite a few like that. So getting them to do that would be a bit challenging. Um, I'm not saying it cannot be done because I'm definitely sure there are some parents that is going to try it. Definitely. Yeah. The story, the parents, you, it's a transition for the parents first before the students because getting the parents to even settle a child to do the story or to listen to, to, the to some of them may be too much. 30 minutes to them might be too much. 15 minutes might be too much to the parent. Because just getting them to settle to even color or trace a line, the child don't want to do it, so then they leave them alone. And the child goes on to do whatever they want to do. So just, you know, even sending the schoolwork out to the parents to do. So some of the children has not done any schoolwork like since all of this would have taken place. Because the parents just don't know how to get them to settle to do it. Keisha, is there a little bit of um, the fact that the parents, first of all, need to develop some structure before they can start yes. delivering some structure to the child? Yes. So the transition will need to be with the parents first before the child. Okay. Isha, do you think it might be anything to do with expectations? Expectation one, and I think they're seeing it as my child is a special needs child. Yeah, that's... And um, it's as far as they're going to go. And, mm. you know, even if I don't get them to read or draw, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. If I don't get them to settle down to do. And they're seeing it as something that they want to do as a parent for the child not what the child wants. I think, Keisha, one of the things I've found is that is, is expectation. I, mean, I know um, me and Otis have a passion, uh, and Michael does as, as well as Ross and Jonathan, with a massive passion for Grenada. Um, and one of the things that I've always learned is where, when, when the child leaves school, what is there? Is there a pathway into work? Is there mm. a pathway to learning key skills? And I think that ties into expectation. If you know your yeah. child isn't going to go to work at 18, or have a job, mm -hmm. or have a life outside of school after 18, then that falls back into that category of education and understanding yeah. expectations. And I think that's something that we yeah. can look into as, as working and notice with the JRF as well and how we can engage. I mean, there's so many hotels there that could be offering, uh, just at, at what we do at one of our facilities is we work with the Harrington Scheme and we have two mm -hmm. autistic, full-time autistic gardeners working around yeah. um, doing things. So there's, there's jobs and skills and vocations Absolutely. That, that could be mm -hmm. in, in, implemented in Grenada that then would enhance the expectation of the parent. Um, it's not going to be a quick fix. We know this, but it's a long-term plan that we've had. Ross was there before me, and Ross has been working on this mm -hmm. for a long time. And I'm just saying what I believe could, could enhance the expectation of this uh, out there. I think also now. as well, it's, um, it's the idea that even if you think your child isn't necessarily, employment isn't what the, the route they're going to go down as an adult, preparation for adulthood is still really crucial. Yeah. So ensuring that your child can be as independent as possible, that they can um, engage in life skills and self-help mm -hmm. skills, mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. in the, having a good quality of life and enjoying mm -hmm. their free time. Mm -hmm. So we were talking earlier about play skills. And children mm. learning to, to develop mm. those face skills at home is also really, really crucial. 
Yeah, I can send you some things on um, some, uh, you know, a sequence of sort of like skills that support children's independence and life skills just for your parents to have a look at. To, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know, Disha, can um, you think of any parents that would come into this forum and we could talk to them? Oh, definitely. Most definitely. Well, we should, we should, we should do that. Yeah. Uh, Weeks will be sort of a parent special where we yeah. invite three or four parents to join this group and we can kind of get a little bit more parent interaction. But just going back to what we've been talking about there, and I know that's a completely separate subject. When I say separate, it's got a, a, a podcast of its own. And that's in terms of, um, you know, what, what young people do when they leave school. And I know, Ross, you ran something at your school. I, mean, I remember coming to your school in Hillenden and you were, you were doing something around moving on and and getting people into work and that. Tell us a little bit about that. I know that's a, I know it's a whole different subject altogether. I know me and Jonathan have been talking about it, but tell us a little bit. Uh, that, that was a, a, a USA-based thing called Project Search. I don't know if anybody else has heard of that, but it was, it was basically working with employers, and, and, and it's not dissimilar to what you've just said there, Kai, where you've got the Bath Road in Hillingdon, which is all the hotels. Uh, one of the hotels, which was absolutely superb, was called the Marriott. And the Marriott took 10 of our children and they stayed there for the whole year and did these three rotations. So they worked in reception or they worked in the sports area or, or in, in catering or whatever. So they did these three. Uh, and it was so successful that the first year they kept seven of the young people on and gave them employment. So, so th- these children got a lot of value from that. Obviously, the parents got a tremendous amount of value because they felt that you know that the children were going to go on, um, and it's been so successful. It's still running now. So, four years later, we're still working with the Marriott, and we're now looking to work. I think the next thing is looking to do is with Hillingdon Hospital. So, it, it's and and what they what the employers found is that our young people, those that were capable, have got great stickability. You know, they do the job and they do the job well and they do it with pride and, mm. and they don't leave. You know, they're just constantly there. and then They're there. on time, they're punctual. If yes. they learn how to do something properly, it's done like that every time. So. And, and that kind of model can work and it could work in Grenada, as you say, the, the kind of tasks that could be done and the jobs that can be done. Children can, you mm. can teach them a lot about it. And it was hardly... Just have some children, uh, well, they're adults now, um, work in, in a hospital, don't you, Jonathan? In King's Cross and also mm. they, we have um, catering services our pupils are working in as well. Mm. So mm. we're starting to um, get into our pupils into different industries, but it's like yeah. you mentioned last week, identifying their skill set is key at an early age, like right through from early years all the way through That's to yeah. the, uh, 19 and beyond. But just in terms of like autistic students, they've got... A, They've got great skill sets. It's just finding the right appropriate jobs for them to do. And that's, I think, we have a duty to um, push on with this. And I think we can all get together and come up with some solutions. Well, like anything else in life, it's about recognising the issue in the first place. I, I was just saying, Grenada, the one thing that we started a conversation around was a, a kind of a moving on curriculum. Because although I've not been out there for a number of years, the conversation started. And I think that's something that schools in the UK have developed. It's as, you know, originally out in Grenada, there was, you would just follow your curriculum brought by your teacher year by year by year, but not necessarily with a design pathway at the end of it. And I think that's the sort mm. of structure that, 
that, that we need to be able to support again. And we, and we could do, you know, it, it wouldn't be hard to try and look at packages towards independence. And I think that, that, that would be a step forward. It's been fantastic. Is there anybody who's got any closing words? Richard, we haven't heard from you for a little while. Oh, I think it's, it's fantastic to hear from a completely different part of the world, you know. It's yeah. you know, similar students in different situations and it's just fun. You know, what's important is that we get this, get this enthusiasm of the group and, and you know, and expand that out into the into the families and overseas and just you know just wherever it's needed if we help one more person then it's worthwhile um before you move on um so based on children moving on or especially these children moving on to the workplace i know that the lines the special ed school in st george's they started um a program for the children in that school with that so i think they call it the moving on children so that's the eldest set of children and a higher functioning children at the school. I think they had two of them that recently went on to um, work in a hotel, one at a hotel and I think one at a grocery store um, sometime early this year. So they're starting a program trying to help the children to move on and to be able to uh, find jobs and so so they're working on that bunch of children on the moving on program well, with them. What I would suggest, Keisha, is it would be a great idea if when these things happens, you share those stories with us socially. Because if we can start to share them on our networks, I know how that works when it comes back into Grenada. Um, it gives you a lot more bite and clout to see that things that you're doing locally are being recognized internationally. You can say, look, this is what we're doing and it's received overseas in this way. So let's really start to share on this platform. Yeah, I, think with, I think with Grenada, just to sort of give a bit of education for the guys who haven't been there, the Limes in St. George's is in it's like the, the capital. It's the capital of Grenada. So it's, it's the hustle and bustle where it is. So it's, very e it's not very easy. It's easier to get the transition. I think where we may find things a little bit tougher is that how do we transition in Victoria and Grenville where yeah, the, there's not many hotels and what are our options there? Is it going into agriculture? Is it doing this? Is it doing that? So there's, we've got, it's that whole island approach, which uh, sometimes in Grenada isn't there. Um, but this is where as a foundation and the work that Keisha's doing, I think it's fantastic to get that whole island approach going. Yeah, it is. I think um, just, just on, I know we're closing up, just, just on that, I think one of the things that um, just coming at this for me, just, you know, obviously with my UK and Grenada hat on is I think we need to start putting that we've done quite a lot of work around special education in Grenada over the last 10 years. And I think it's time for us to kind of speak to the likes of Keisha and Jenilyn and, you know, just for the visits that have been there before and the impacts been there is to write a, an impact report so that the government, the current government understand what's gone on before Absolutely. and we can back some of the progress and, and, you know, have a, have a nice glossy doc document that stays with Parliament, stays in the right walls, but actually gives us a working document to go and get funding because that's, you know, when I'm thinking about it just here now, you know, we do that a lot in the UK around projects that we get funded for. But I think, you know, we, people go, we go to Grenada and we do it from the heart and we really want to see progress. And I think that's one of the things, Kai, we put, put you know, some of the work that myself, Ross, Rob, throughout the years and, and, you know, just put a 25-page impact report with some real stories, some real um, case studies, and, and that I think it's a document that 
um, in case you have the rest of the staff can add to. People over here who have been successful in placing students in the UK, and I think really it's about changing the mindset of some of the employees in Grenada around mm -hmm. what these students are able to achieve. And I think you know we've got the capacity to to highlight that through TV, through through our media outlets, and an impact mm -hmm. report so that at least some of the um, employees you know recognize that these young people have got fantastic talent and ability so i think i think that's a piece of work but this is also where case studies come into their own and the use of you know social media and videos i mean with the funding that we generate a lot of the funders now in their reporting and impact statements are saying hey just give us a two-minute video don't give me a five-page report two-minute video really? yeah well that's it for this episode folks hope you enjoyed listening and just remember you are not alone thanks for listening if you'd like to ask a question or be a guest on one of our future podcasts please feel free to contact us at yana at jasonrobertsfoundation.org that's yana at jasonrobertsfoundation.org